So thank you, listeners. I just want to share a review that we got from C. Graham. If you stumble across this podcast, fight through episode one. It has good info and introduces you to the host, but it's sort of all over the place. Yes, Graham, it was all over the place. True. They begin their stride in episode two. Every episode, even episode one, in parentheses, has moments of legit sex education and thought-provoking ideas for people from conservative religious background to consider. So thank you very much, C. Graham. We appreciate that. We appreciate your reviews because your reviews help us rise in the algorithms you're still doing it. We appreciate your reviews because they help other people discover the show. Okay, we appreciate your reviews because it helps other people to discover our show. Thank you. <laughs> like, I haven't been uncomfortable enough in other seasons. <laughs> Pushing the boundaries. <laughs> season by season. The next season will all be completely in the news. Yes. <laughs> But Tommy will be producing and co hosting <laughs> From Mill U Media Group, this is Fun Parts, an exploration of sexuality and spirituality for anyone who's curious or convinced there must be more. With your host, Becky Patton, Ashley Lusink, Steve Weens, Luke Bronner, and me, Latifa Alatas. So we talked about something in episode zero that I wanted to make sure we came back to, but now I feel like I'm sort of naturally coming back to it and that's anger. <laughs> like the more we dive into, the more I, as we talk, think through some of my own work. And as I sort of break a lot of this down, I find myself feeling a lot of anger and it's a familiar anger at the church and at just sort of maybe Western evangelicalism general as the framework in which I grew up, I, I recognize that that's not going to be the framework for everybody, but the unhealth that I have experienced around sexuality and around all other sort of forms of morality, I guess, it just makes me angry. I feel that as we talk, it just makes me think like I'm angry at the system that raised me. And I do want to be really clear. I don't mean that I'm angry at my parents. Like when I talk about all of this, I'm not thinking of my parents. I'm thinking of my interpretation of what I was experiencing around me, which may have been articulated perfectly, but it was interpreted a particular way by me. I did not understand it. And that maybe the framework I built around myself from what I was interpreting is so hard to undo. And it just makes me angry. I say it's familiar because I've gone through seasons of my life, long seasons of my life of just being really angry at the church and then sort of working my way through it, never getting over it, but just sort of maybe negotiating it in different ways. And so it's funny because before coming up here this week, I felt like I was in a season of like really coming to some peace again with the church and with Christianity in general. And today I feel angry again. <laughs> and so yeah. I know you brought it up Latifa in episode zero. And so I just kind of would love to go into that part of the conversation. I'm curious where you were headed with it when you were talking about anger. I think that anger and rage are probably some of the emotions, especially in the church, that are most dreaded to know how to share or expel because we haven't had a lot of safety and context around what is it to release anger and rage without it compromising or harming somebody else in your vicinity or yourself. But 
when you hold on to anger and rage in the body, like it really becomes harmful. Like it carries stories and messages. And for me, at least it really shuts me down. It's raw. And it's my judgment of the rage and the anger, not the actual anger and rage itself, if that makes sense. Because if I didn't judge it, I'd probably expel it and release it. So I've had a lot of anger, like at the church, I've had a lot of anger at the systems and the teachings and the collective church consciousness about what is right and what is wrong and how you should behave and not behave, because it definitely created theological pylons in my life that altered how I made decisions in regards to my own like body safety, sexual safety, how long I partnered my ex-husband. Like, and I said this on the divorce podcast, like I even said it to him, like, I really feel like we should have gotten divorced a year, year and a half in. And he agreed with me, but I stayed because of the expectation of what is it to be good or holy or righteous. And, and I realized that, you know, as I've done more work around my divorce, that one of those players at the table was my own pride about remaining loyal, like loyalty for loyalty's sake is not a virtue if it's actually putting yourself in harm's way. And that's something that I couldn't even digest. And so then I had some anger at myself. You know, it's not just the church. It's not just, you know, the community. It's gosh, I have so much anger. And why did I let myself stay in a position that I knew wasn't serving myself or my body or my spirit? And I actually had an experience I shared Becky when she picked me up from the airport, but I don't know if I've said it on the mic yet, but I'm currently in energy medicine school and I'm learning a lot about organs and systems in the body. It's rooted in Chinese medicine and different organs represent different emotions that we can hold and carry. And we learned how to do electrical resets, which I won't go into, but it's basically like if you have a switchboard on your back of all the houses in your body and all the power it goes to, it's like taking the main breaker and going you know, but it takes like an hour. <laughs> and they told me, you know, when we were learning how to do this and we were going to practice on each other, that electrical work addresses scarring. And it could be actually like keloids on the body, like physical raised skin that along a scar line that bubbles up, or it could be in regards to emotional scarring in your body. And I forgot that they said that. And I'm sitting on the table, my friend's working on me and I start feeling really agitated. And normally these kinds of treatments up to the point that we had learned thus far are very relaxing. So I was feeling really even more annoyed that, <laughs> that I was feeling restless. And then some memories flashed through my mind that were particularly sexually vulnerable. What I know now for myself, only because I did not speak up, were like non-consensual experiences. And I got really mad and I got mad and pissed that the memories even like passed through my mind. And I just, ugh. and I just, I laid on the table. I was irritated when I got off and the session was over. And then later that afternoon, I was driving back to the Airbnb with one of my classmates. And I said, you know, one of the things we've learned is that, you know, we've talked about not closing the loop and stories without like an ending or a closed loop continue to fester. And I said, I think that these memories came up because they're addressing a not closed loop. And like, would you help me? Like, can I talk through this with you? And as I was talking with her, I started getting really mad and she allowed me to get really mad and she even got mad with me, which like felt really helpful, like to have a witness say, that is not just like, that's not okay behavior. That shouldn't have happened to you. You know, it felt really validating. And then basically I asked her after I kind of sorted out what the message was, which was, I was mad that I felt like I could never be enough. And 
And then I said, I need to scream. And I actually need a witness. And I said, we had parked the car at that point. And I said, can I scream no at the top of my lungs and not scare you? (laughs) And she was like, go for it. Could you do that on the mic for us real quick? (laughs) You don't want to. Because literally, I I actually didn't even say I need to scream no. I didn't know what I was going to say, to be honest. I just said I need to scream. And I screamed from like the bottom of my pelvis all the way out the top of my head. My whole body was shaking. And the word no actually came out of me. And it almost surprised me because I didn't know that's what I was going to say. And I screamed no for so long and so viscerally that like it felt like a cosmic shift, like in my own self. And after I was done, I looked at her and our eyes both filled with tears And then I said, get out of my cells, get out of my body. Like, I don't want this story anymore. And I was just kind of like, ah, you know, and then that kind of came to rest. And then she looked at me and she said, that felt really important. And I thanked her for being my witness and holding that space with me. And then we just started laughing (laughs) and I felt like physiologically, this was fascinating. I felt like there was warm goo that went all the way down my spinal column around my hip flexors and back up my spinal column. And I felt my whole body relax in places that I think have been tight for over a decade. And like, I get, I mean, I'm emotional because like, I'm so grateful. Like I've been clenching and it's been rage and I've been like afraid to scream at the top of my lungs. No. And my body, like what I love about, I believe, and other people think this too, like how the body works, like the body, like the spiritual, the soul, there's a part of us that's outside of space and time. And like, I can scream no now and give that to my body for that experience that happened to me in the past, you know, and my body can say, Oh, you heard me. Thank you. I guess I can relax now, you know? And so I actually messaged a good friend of mine because she and I have been having a conversation about rage. How do we expel rage? And she's like, there's these places where you can go like bang holes in the walls with sledgehammers and break plates. And like, they're like rage dens. Like, I don't know what what they're actually called, but you can go. And I was like, I kind of want to try it. And she was like, I would totally go with you. I think that like, I've been so afraid to access my rage because I've been around people who've had rage in the past that have caused me harm in the way they expelled rage because nobody taught them how to do it either, you know? And so like, man, like, I don't know, I'm honestly figuring it out. But what I do realize is keeping the lid on it. It's not serving me and it's keeping me in loops that I really would like to not be in anymore. And in regards to the church, it's like, I don't really know what to do there. I'm, yeah, I'm still I mean, all over the place. Like I miss things about it. There's times where I'm like, you can't like take Christianity for me or take spirituality for me. But then I'm like, maybe it's okay to let this go and I can still be spiritual and I can like have it be what it's going to be. It's personal anyways, to some degree, to most degrees, I guess. But like, I don't have a great answer for you. I'm kind of just going person by person. <laughs> the dilemma that I feel there's two. One is that like, I don't want to be mad at the church. I don't want to hate the church. I have lived years of my life in cynicism and I don't want to do that anymore. It didn't feel good. I used to define my, you know, when my social media bio used to include that I was a recovering cynic, you know, because I I don't want to be that anymore. The other part of it is that like you and I are different in our sort of attunement to 
what's happening inside. I have a brother-in-law who similarly can sort of rise above what's happening, rise above, you know, whatever he's experiencing. And I was talking about the experience of emotions being like waves in the ocean. And it feels like I am constantly sort of being pummeled by them and trying to find the air. And so I feel them like crazy. I feel tons of emotion, but I can't really identify what's what. I just know that there's a lot of it. Whatever it is, it's overwhelming. Whereas my brother-in-law is this person who can sort of surf on top of the waves. And it's like, it's not that there's any less emotion. It's just that he can navigate it and he can sort of negotiate where he wants to go and how he wants to handle it. And, and I admire that. So you and I are different in that, like, I can hypothesize that all of that rage is down there somewhere. I have no idea how to access it. Have you ever let, let alone expel have it? Have you ever let yourself be mad? Like really mad? I mean, it's a good question. I certainly know what it feels like to be mad. But that's probably as much as I could say. <laughs> like, do you immediately, when you notice that you're angry, do you immediately shame the anger? Or like, do you also feel bad about being mad? I certainly feel bad about being mad. This is part of the suppression stuff that I was talking about in the last episode. It's like, even anger is a thing that I was taught to suppress. And I wouldn't have called it suppression. I would have called it like, you know, you don't give in to that or you don't, you know, you it's not Christ-like to do this or to do that. And so rather than doing something else, I simply didn't do it. I simply, you know, with any sort of emotional experience, I think the lesson, again, as I interpreted it, probably not the way it was articulated, but in my mind, with my limited understanding as a kid, was to bury it. And so it's, again, I can feel the anger all day long. I may not always identify that that's what I'm feeling. I'm just getting tossed around by the waves, if that makes sense. And so I would love to have that experience. I mean, I got emotional listening to you talk about screaming in your car. But I don't know how to get to that experience. I don't know how to, what I need is to learn the agitation part, the part where you're laying on the table and recognizing and and identifying, oh, I'm feeling something. I'm feeling this particular thing. And then you're sort of able to go down a rabbit hole and identify where it's coming from. I don't know how to do that work. It sort of sounds like you're feeling so, so, so much all the time that it's numb because it's so much, it's so much information being thrown at the wall that that's actually maybe become your normal. And so like you've sort of like learned to live with all of this pressing against the surface of who you are. Well, I've also learned to live confused. I would say that like my default state from childhood has been one of confusion and I can fake it a lot. But like I tell my wife all the time when we're in conflict, like I need you to remember when you're upset at me to approach me, first of all, as a really confused kid, because that's all I really ever feel like mm-hmm. I am is I'm just looking around and trying to like make sense of things. I think that's where my introversion comes from. That's where my shyness comes from. That's where like my sarcasm comes from. It's like a, that's how I sort of defend myself is, is that I'm generally just confused by the world and I feel a ton. And so none of that I don't think is, is processing really at all. It's all just sort of down there. Today, it feels like anger. That's what I'll say. I think it is, but I just, so I want to say that absolutely beautiful story, wonderful things, but we start by actually inviting ourselves to be honest. You're the one who said it. Can I actually trust myself? So can you trust the angers here for a reason? And it's here right now. And I think giving yourself permission that you're trustworthy that sounded great when I said it before. <laughs> it doesn't sound great now. It's like, I mean, that sounds like a great theory. That is that you're trustworthy. Very, very difficult 
to say I need to learn to trust myself is one thing. To say I trust myself, I choose to trust myself is a very different experience. Okay. So in this, you said, you just said a few minutes ago, I am angry at the church. Do you trust that statement? No. No, I don't, because it still feels like something I need to suppress. That still feels like the problem is me. And the other thing that I'm hyper aware of is that, like, I also don't want to pretend like I'm a victim of these things. And that's why I keep saying, like, it was my interpretation of these things. And that's not even to say that it's my fault, but just to say that, like, my limited understanding with the language that was happening around me processed in a particular way that was very confusing but I still don't know what to do with that now. Luke, you were probably told some bad information, and that's not your fault. You are not the sole bearer of responsibility for all the things that you have been like taught or told. Not everything is on you to interpret something in the way that needed nuance. As a six-year-old, how in the world are you supposed to interpret bad teaching or bad information? Does it make the teacher a bad person? No, but they were propagating bad information. You're not responsible to do all of that work for the whole world. It's not all your fault. Like, do you, do you believe that? Uh, yeah, I believe that. You're not responsible. I, I believe that on the surface, at least. Yeah. I think I think burying that seed is what will will take a little bit of work, but it's I'm, not your fault. Yeah. That's not your fault. This feels like goodwill hunting. I know that. It's just <laughs> but like, I'm actually not trying to like relive a movie moment, but like. No, I would like that. <laughs> I would very much like it's, that. It's not your fault. Like, honestly, like it's okay. Mm. Sometimes harm happens to people and it's legitimately not their fault. And yeah, like you don't want to perpetually live as a victim your whole entire life because you want to get your power back and live. But like acknowledging that like you were in a system and there were things about that system that were harmful for you. And that remain harmful. Yeah. For you. Even if you're out of the system. Yeah. I just want to acknowledge so much of what you're saying because I identify with so much of it too as I think my language might be a little bit different, but I have a really hard time accessing my anger also. I think I identify as an Enneagram 7. Part of that is like always seeing the bright side of things and pushing, you know, so it's to try and access that. But I feel like I see where when I have had wrong done to me, I have a really hard time acknowledging that. And I look for other people to validate that that would, like, was that, was that really that bad? Like, I'm so quick to push that down because I deserved it or I, I try to logic my way through why that might have been what happened or whatever, thinking of a recent experience. And so in, in a situation when I had someone that got really angry on my behalf, I was like, oh, I can be angry about this. And so I just, it's not an easy thing to unpack. And hearing your story too, where you're like, I screamed, I did all that. And I'm like, I could maybe enter into that for a couple seconds. Like I, I also don't know how to get there, I guess, with it. And so I see myself in in this continual loop, also particularly with the church. And this is also where I'm at right now. And I feel like I've been doing this work for years of like entering into like father wound, which is its own work in and of itself. And then recently, like in the last couple of years, like mother wound work. And then I had this kind of moment where I realized like the church is like this third parent that we've been raised by in many ways that we're trying to unravel all of these messages that we got because we were so 
in it that like next to our home environment, the church environment was like almost one and the same. So these messages are so deep. So it's like reparenting myself through my church experience. And so I'm like, I don't know, four to six months into that process right now of like, I need to go back and like rewire these messages that the church gave me. But I think part of that process is anger. Like I'm pissed off about these messages that I got. And it's like, to your point, Latifah, like I made massive decisions about my life because of what the church gave me. Like I would not have married my first husband if I wouldn't have been in the church. He wouldn't have married me either. Like (laughs) he would have probably had sex before we got married and realized like, I don't want to have sex with a woman, you know, and would have saved us a lot over time. You know, so I just... I think I've like worked through that. And then now I'm saying it a lot. I'm like, God damn it. You know, like there's just that. You're mad. I'm mad, you know, but yeah, but this is like as far as it goes. And then I'm like, well, how do I get that out of my being so that I can like feel cleansed and move on and just really feel like it's out of my being instead of that loop. And so I just want to just reiterate like the things that you're saying are like so real, especially depending upon, I think how, that's why I think the Enneagram is such a helpful filter because like a seven is a head type. So I can think my way through, but to actually feel and access that isn't a natural thing. That's so good. Yeah. I, love I didn't all realize how fire yeah, I'm, I'm, like, I'm like ready to break some plates. <laughs> like I know it's a, an Airbnb, yeah. but like, I'm mad about what happened to you. And I'm mad about what happened to you. Fuck that shit, man. Like that is like, it's injustice. It's an appropriate yeah. response to injustice. Yeah. Anger is an emotion. It is an emotion that is basically says something I value has been threatened. Thank you for saying, yeah. Ooh. It is an emotion. Can you say that again? Anger is an emotion. It is an emotion that says something I value is threatened. That's interesting because as Latifah was talking, I also can access it on others' behalf. I mean... You know, we just recently went through a whole thing with Haitians trying to migrate to the States and being met with tremendous injustice. And I have always said that like half of my heart lives in Haiti. That's where I discovered who I am. And, And so it's really easy for me to be like very angry about that. It's very easy for me to be angry at your ex husband who I've never met, not once, but I can't stand that guy. And every time you talk about him, I, I respond with that, you know, and I can articulate it. And so, what you just said, can you say it one more time? It's an emotion. Anger is just an emotion, but it is an emotion that comes up when something we value is threatened. So mm. that's where it's interesting because what does that say in the context of a conversation about how self-loathing is an embraced part of the framework that I was raised in? So I am the thing that I must value, but I can't access. Does that make sense? Like I can't access the anger then. I'm just going to snap. Bingo, bingo. You're you doing actually, the work. Maybe you actually do value yourself. And so when you see someone else that you love being hurt, it's like even that is a shared, we were talking about yesterday, sharing something. I think that's part of it. I had to be angry on behalf of other people in order to learn how to actually care for myself. Well, or maybe it's that valuing myself is the problem. That's the thing that feels wrong. I mean, the whole conversation mm. I had about like not feeling like I could have nice things. It's like... So that's where I want to get at the, you know, this is supposed to be a show about sexuality and spirituality, but it, for me, this is currently a show about self-loathing and the ways in which that is propagated in conservative, maybe not even just conservative, just in religious spaces. 
Because religion sells literally relies on people being needy for something. Yeah. My insufficiency is like vital it's to a the marketable. formula. Yeah, you it's know? vital. And it's like, that's where, and so, but part of this is think about, I, I, you should be angry. Yeah. Something very valuable. This sweet, I am seeing you at six. I don't know why, I know. but I see you Me at six too. years old and this sweet little boy that's coming in with a, just a joy to come into the church. And then he gets told something and he takes this in because he's this hugely responsible human being already. And he sees in such vast ways and he has a heart that's just beating with love for humanity. And so it's like, you tell me to jump five feet, I'll jump 10 because I want to be even better. And it was with such an innocence, I'm sure. And then that enthusiasm got taken advantage of. If you see that six-year-old boy out here, oh my God, I hope you're angry on his behalf because that innocence is what got taken away. And I wonder, you know, in the church, we talk about sovereignty. God is sovereign, which means God is in control. The church took away everybody else's sovereignty and Mm. we need to claim sovereignty, really. I mean... I'm not taking anything away from whatever the divine invites us into the universe, whatever, but we all, the journey is to say, I am actually, and you said it in a different way last episode, maybe Luke, and I really loved it. And the conversation just kept going, but it was like, trusting yourself is about having sovereignty Mm -hmm. is about having a sphere in which you really have say so. And we need to reclaim that to be healthy people. And that is not, in my opinion, opposed to a connection with the divine or whatever. You know, without sovereignty, you don't even choose the divine. You just get swept up in something. You're caught in the undertow, yeah. like what you're talking about yeah. in the ocean. I think it's maybe the narrative that I need untied, and maybe a lot of people, maybe the especially the evangelical church needs untied, is the idea that my worthlessness does not make the gospel better. So like if the more I <laughs> linger on how awful I am, like I, it feels like that's a thing that we do to make the sacrifice of Jesus mm-hmm. even greater, you know? And it's like, we don't have to do that. Like, that's not the point. The point is not, in fact, that's actually counterproductive. You know, oh my gosh, if, so if the much narrative so. is true to be like, I am infinitely valuable and yet Christ died, you know, like whatever, however you want to think of it. I I just, I think that's the untying that maybe it still lingers even while while I have fled as fast as possible from all of the conservative theology with which I was, or to which I've been exposed over the years. I still find within me this need to like, I must become less so that he can Mm -hmm. become more, you know, that's been perverted, I think in my mind to be like, I must be awful for Christ to be good, for God to be good. I think one thing we don't acknowledge enough is how deeply those messages get internalized. Mm. So it's like, I had this experience a couple weeks ago in a cranial sacral session, and it was like, I had internalized this not wanting of myself so deep that I was experiencing from this person that I didn't want my, like, I had decided I didn't even want my own self, if that makes sense. And it was in this moment, this choosing of like, but I want me. But that little girl at seven had made that core belief of like, if this person doesn't want me to be here, then I don't want me to be here either. And it's like, oh my gosh, I've been living the last 30 years of my life with that belief. And like thinking about at that time, the six-year-old little boy running into church, when you're just a sponge of messages, Mm -hmm. 
Oh my God. I just think that is the work. I know we are this podcast about sexuality and spirituality, but that at the core of it is like, what are those messages we're carrying? And in, until we unravel that, I mean, that's really to me the work. And part of that is being a sexual being and being a spiritual being, but it's those messages that are just so deep. And I have to say too, the, the other way I've heard about anger is a realization of when your boundaries have been crossed. That was really helpful for me because it was like, as I've learned to have boundaries, as I've learned to have authority over myself, which again, a work in progress right here, like very deeply, I'm like, oh, that's a boundary. Like, oh, that didn't feel good. Like it's this slow work of I'm identifying my boundaries by finding where the anger lies. Does that make sense? Makes sense to me. Yeah. But I think that allowing yourself to acknowledge that you have boundaries and then it's outside of the church system. Like I was taught a certain set of beliefs and boundaries. And as I started to create and discover my own, I'm starting to notice like where my anger resides because I'm actually starting to be able to stand up for myself. I think what's so cool about the body, the Easter eggs it leaves for us is like, I think you said it earlier, but like maybe you're also really mad because one of the things that the value has been threatened is your own self and your own self-esteem, your own goodness is being questioned and threatened. And maybe I don't want to like assume, but maybe that's some of that emotion in there. Like you do have a deep justice vein that runs through you. You deeply care about people being treated with fairness and goodness. And you deserve that too. And so part of me wonders if there's something in your body that's like an Easter egg waiting for you saying like, I've actually loved myself the whole time. That's one of the reasons I'm so mad. Hmm. I want to say that little six-year-old that came bounding into the church loved himself, had no question whether or not. I mean, at some point there's an innocence that we all carry didn't question whether or not they had value. And I think inside of all of us, we've got those wounded, what we call wounded littles that need to be cared for. Janina Fisher talks about one of the ways we do that is we ask ourselves, what did that six-year-old actually need? What did they really need? My therapist a few years ago, so I have this sort of cyclical narrative that I come back to, and this is what maybe what depression looks like for me. And I don't mean depression in the sense, like I'm not trying to use that word casually. I don't think that it's like clinical depression that a lot of people are combating. But there is sort of a depressive cycle that for me comes along as I wake up in the morning and the very first thought in my mind is I'm unloved and I'm unlovable. And that will linger for like 24 full hours. And then I'll wake up and I'll be fine, usually. Sometimes it's two or three days, but it's like I can't shake this thought of, I'm unloved and unlovable. That's the only thing, like when it all boils down, that's the only thing I can make out of life is I am unloved and I'm unlovable. And my therapist, one of the the sort of things that she encouraged me to do was to take a picture of myself as a child, put it on the mirror and affirm that person every day. Print pictures aren't really a thing. So <laughs> I posted one on Instagram and I sort of did that work publicly as I do all of my emotional work. But that was super helpful to me. It has not changed that cycle for me, but maybe it's slowed it down a little bit. It's, it's There's longer gaps now between the I am loved and I am unlovable days. But that has been part of the work is addressing and affirming myself as a child that I should probably do more of. I did it once and then kind of and, and just how one often, time. If, we, if we only teach, if we only teach a child just one time how to walk, then, you know, I mean, they only get one shot at it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and I would just like to say like, you know, the story I started the episode with, like I'm almost 40 
And that's like really the first time I've done that. And I've been mad about a lot of things for a long time and very afraid, especially as a woman of color to express anger because there's different kinds of risks there if you do that in public or so, I mean, I've really had to figure out how to choose safe people that can hold it with me where I'm not going to cause a fracture in them in order to, and, and like, you know, my friend that was with me in the car, I wasn't mad at her at all. Like she knew that I was mad about this other thing. And I think like part of the work for me, Luke, like you just said, well, like I did it once and I'm like, okay, well I did that once, but I'm thinking to myself, I think I need to do more of that. And I'm going to need to like probably schedule time <laughs> like with somebody I trust and say, can you hold this space with me? Because I don't want to freak somebody out. I don't want to harm somebody, but I am, I'm really mad about some of the things that have happened in my own life and my own story. And like, I am really mad. Like when I think about my gay friends who didn't date for 15 years because they thought they weren't allowed to, that they like had to be celibate, that they couldn't have family or partnership. And like, I'm like really mad about that because I love them. And like, I have anger about that too. I, I got to get that out somehow. <laughs> you know, if you look at the word emotion and you just cover up the E, 95% of emotion is giving it motion. motion. <laughs> and I think there's something really important. I think we do all have stored anger in ourselves. There, I think some of us even got it in, in the womb and that's a real thing. And so some of our anger is not even our own. Oh, that's good. And sometimes I think it's important for us to ask the, I, that's why I think curiosity is a really good help in this. But when we start to notice anger, what continues to help me, and I'm a work in process too, is this element of when I notice anger in real time, am I willing to acknowledge it, give space for it? And then will I, I like to break things. My therapist told me to go buy a 10 gallon metal trash can and save all my recycled glass and get a massive stone and some safety goggles. And she says, when you're really angry and you need motion, you need sound, your body needs sound and it needs motion. And I would just go out in the backyard and I'd take that stone and I'd throw it in at that glass. And I had this such reward. And I'm a little embarrassed to say I've gone through three trash cans. No, that sounds awesome. I slam well, medicine like, balls. That's another good one. I've heard too, the uh, water balloons and then you freeze them Yeah, and then you throw them in a tub yeah. or whatever and they explode. No, no, no. They'll actually dent porcelain, but you can do it on a asphalt. concrete or something. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's better. Yeah. And yeah. Th then the ice will just melt. So you yes. don't have to like worry. Yeah. That's yeah. cool. I think too, anger. Yes. Um, and grief. I don't think we're very, we don't know how to, I don't know how to walk through the process of grief. Some of that is because, and Luke, it's been interesting for me to listen to you because even over lunch or dinner or whatever it was off mic, I realized how similar we are in certain ways. When you said the thing about the being caught underneath the waves, oh, I resonated so much with that. And as Enneagram threes, it's like when we got to this house, we all connected to the Wi-Fi in this house. We put in the password, but you know, there was like dozens of networks. And Enneagram threes are always connected into all the other networks. You know, we're, we're, we're logging into everybody's Wi-Fi signal and we get it and we lock onto it and we don't log on to ours. Mm. We don't have our own password for our own Wi-Fi, So we can get angry even, but then it's like, well, grief, well, what am I grieving? I don't even know, but I'm mad and I'm sad. 
I told someone, I just had a sabbatical. We, we mentioned that. And I was noticing, I kept noticing this emerging sadness and it felt so big, but I would tell Mary or other people, I don't know what it is, but there it is. I can, it's coming around the corner. It's coming for me. (laughs) Terrifying. Feels terrifying. I know that I need to grieve something. I don't know what it is, you know? And I think that's a further conversation, right? Because I think you can't skip the anger. The anger probably leads to realization about what the grief is. But Luke, I think people like you and me, we got to find a way to get the password for our own Wi-Fi system so that we can center down and realize I am worthy of taking the time on. Well, it's funny. I think grief is, I keep coming back to suppression. That's another shame trigger for me because I mentioned previously, we recorded the first season of this show after my lifelong best friend died before his funeral. We recorded the second season of the show after my grandmother died before her funeral. And so grief is something that's, you know, I've experienced a lot, but it's a thing that is a shame trigger in that I feel like I was taught my hope should exist outside of the bounds of life. You know, our our hope is to come. And so it's almost like you shouldn't feel sadness. You shouldn't feel deep, deep grief because your hope is for later anyway. And that also makes me angry. Yeah. That is such it's so dissociative. And no one ever said those words to me. No. It was I've had people say those words to me. Wow. But even if it hasn't been said to you, it's been experienced around you. How many days do we normally give for grief? For grief people grieving? Like two. Two. Think about it. And I one of the things I love about in the Jewish faith, I have a friend that on the anniversary, they were coming into town. It was the anniversary of a year since her mother had died. And she said, oh, oh, do you mind coming to dinner at our house? We just, it's the year anniversary of my mother's death. And I was like, absolutely. I'd love to. And we came to dinner and they lit this candle in the middle and they all told stories and they grieved again. And they, like, they remember like my rabbi friend continue every time he talks about his dad, he goes, my dad, blessed memory. Mm-hmm. It's like they honor the grief is something that will continue to be with us for the rest of our life. Mm-hmm. That's what I've learned, especially since Nathan, my best friend died yeah. is that mm-hmm. like, I think that I always thought this, you know, it's grief. It's going to take a while to process through this. And it's not like that. It's like, Oh, it's a new limb that I have. Yes. That I will interact with. It's a new way of, of walking yeah. every day of your life. You will. Yeah. It's good. If we have to suppress that grief also, and this is one of the things I, I want to say too, is we don't start at anger. We start at, we're disappointed by something. Oh, or we're frustrated. And then we push that down too. And we push the disappointment down and we, oh, that didn't really matter. And so there's a lot of steps towards anger that we've been taught so much to deny the fact that we are emotional human beings having a physical and emotional and spiritual experience here on this earth. And I will say this again, we will not be able to heal that which we cannot acknowledge. It's good. When it is hidden, it cannot be healed. But I would say, I love that we started out with this anger thing because I've had several questions that people have sent to me about that too. None of you around the table sound like you're angry. I'm like, no, we are. My anger is part of what's driven me to do this work. But 
anger has to have a place at the table. I would much rather it have a place at the table than have it be buried inside and suppressed and glossed over. It matters and it belongs because it's telling us something. And my suggestion or thought would be that you're ready. Yeah. Because you named it. Hmm. Yeah, that's good. I don't know if anybody else is similar to me. So like I'm a verbal processor. My one of a kind. Thank you. My ideas formulate as they're leaving my mouth. But one of the things that that's been helpful for is that I'm learning that my emotions as they leave my body, lead me to the next thing. It's not just like a void that goes to nothing. Like this feeling I'm expelling will begin to reveal itself, but the action is first letting it start to be expelled. And so I wonder when like I hear about you guys saying, I don't know where it's from, or I don't, I know I need to grieve, but I don't know what I need to grieve. Part of me is like, if you can give yourself some space to even just have the feeling for a while and like, however you need to, if it's crying, if it's journaling, if it's walking and running, if it's, you know, gnashing of teeth and sackcloth wearing, I don't know, (laughs) like, but like trusting that, like, it will start to show up. And I ask myself out loud a lot, like, what am I mad about? Or like, what am I sad about? And I'll just like, let, it's like a practice. It's like, I just let things like run through my mind. And if I want to latch onto something and I think, Oh no, no, that's not it. And I'll latch on the next, but like, you can trust yourself. You already know. You just don't know that you know yet. And that's really true. Like it's all in you, you know, just like waiting to be acknowledged and waiting to be uncovered and trusting yourself that like, you don't need to be afraid of yourself. You have the tools to start to figure it out. Like you're not going to become, you know, Hulk smash green monster. (laughs) But I also think that there's an absolutely spot on we as human beings already have everything we need to heal inside of us. But that operating system, where's your help bar? Who do you go to? Mm -hmm. And that's a trusted friend or a therapist, or you begin having a conversation that just says, I don't want to eat curry. It makes me sick to my stomach. I mean, something that's like real, you do it, you have a real yes and a no, because if you don't have a no to something, you really don't have a yes to it. Mm. If I invite you over to my house and you say, I really don't want to go, but oh yeah, I'll come. That's not a yes. That was an inability to trust your no. Mm. And I think that trusting our no is just as important as trusting our yes. And I know we're podcast about sexuality and spirituality, but especially at the core, healthy sexuality involves having a yes and having a no. That's really good. This is, I think this is extrapolating on what I think I was trying to talk about with sovereignty, you know, is knowing how to listen for your real no knowing how to listen for your real yes. And then experimenting with trusting it, you know, that terrifying thing of like, never in friends. And Phoebe said one time, you know, I wish I could come over and help you move, but I just don't want to. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But like, I think you're right, Steve. It's being brave to try and then asking yourself, how did that feel? Yeah. Do I feel empowered or do I feel discouraged? Yeah. Yeah. 
But I think well, about how much we were taught to not trust that no, voice, I know, I know. you know, within the yeah. church. And I think that was some of the, my own beginning work. And I did spiritual direction training and sitting in silence and doing a, like a silent retreat for a weekend was like mind blowing because I finally, it was like I had stripped out every distraction, including like the worship music I listened to for my 20 minutes of centering prayer or whatever. And it was like, no, you really should just be in silence. And it and also to sit with a group of people doing centering prayer, which is practice of silence for 20 minutes where you sit with a word or a phrase, but to have a room full of people hold that presence with you. That was like when something in me like broke and I could sit in silence longer. And then it was through this practice of that of learning to listen. But I think there are certain parts of Christianity that I would say like that's a slippery slope, you know. But I think that is really, truly deep healing work is to learning to listen. Have I shared the beautiful quote? I don't know who said it first, but it's, I found God at the end of the slippery slope. And she said, welcome home. <laughs> I, I love that. that. Yes. I love that. Yes. I love that. Because we follow the truth where it goes if we have the courage to motion, to make motion toward it. But we don't know where it's going to go. And that's the beauty of whatever faith is. It's certainly not rigidly locking down in a set of beliefs and behaviors. It's following the truth where it goes. And even the truth, that's maybe a, not even the greatest. Following that sense of that's where I'm being, that's where I want to go. And I will go there. And I won't go to the places that are just tired and old, you know? That's really helpful. I think one of my fears about what do I believe now is I don't want to be locked down again in a system that like is broken. And so I think it's like, I just want the freedom to ebb and flow and change from moment to moment. And that feels safer right now. Yeah. But what if that's also the way you were created to be? Totally. So I don't know that you ever could be in a lockdown again. Yeah. They can try and lock me down. They're trying. (laughs) (laughs) They're not going to get it. You know, go ahead because you know what? They want to lock me down here and I'm over here now. Yeah. This episode of Fun Parts was produced, edited, and mixed by me, Luke Bronner. Our artwork was designed by the very talented Alan Lusink. All the music you heard in this episode was composed, produced, and licensed by the fine folks at blue.sessions.com. Check out our website at funpartspodcast.com and be sure to follow us on social media at funpartspodcast. Lastly, if you want access to bonus and behind-the-scenes content from this and other Milieu Media Group shows, join our neighborhood at the Patreon link in the show notes. And now, here's a scene from the next episode of Fun Parts. I mean, in the last two months, I went through a serious, like, four- or five-week cycle and wave of depression and anxiety where I would just cry and cry and cry. And I would be irritated with myself for crying and being sad because I legitimately am so happy with so many things that have been changing (laughs) that feel good in my life. And then I felt even more shame about being depressed because I was like, but I'm also happy, like both are true. (laughs) What's going on with me?